today on CityCast Denver. We're going to start out with the uh, uh, Kiowa flag songs. Denver is reckoning with its racist and colonial past. Slowly. And now, as of this past Saturday, we don't have a library named after one of the biggest cheerleaders of the worst massacre of Native Americans in Colorado history. The Byers Branch Library is no more. So let's get to know the branch's new namesake, John M. Hula Jr., Thunderbird Man. Today is Monday, November 15th, 2021. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Oh my goodness, it's a beautiful day, and we have waited for this day for a very long time. We are very excited to have you all here with us today. The Denver Public Library formally changed the name of one of its branches this past weekend after many months of deliberation. The building at 675 Santa Fe Drive will no longer be known as the Byers Branch Library. As of Saturday, it will now instead be known as the John Thunderbird Man M. Hula Jr. Branch Library. I'm Michelle Jeske. I'm the city librarian, and it's my honor to welcome you to the Denver Public Library today. CityCast producer Paul Caroli was at the ceremony to learn more. Hey, Paul. Hey, Bree. So what was the scene like? What was going on there at the library? Okay, so this is the branch that's on Santa Fe Drive. Um, so it's just across from El Taco to Mexico, I guess, Kitty Corner. And um, they have an open yard area out in front of the branch. And it's this big, beautiful building. Uh, it's like a 100-year-old branch library. And there were maybe 50 to 75 tribal leaders, library officials, and briefly, Mayor Hancock. Maybe about 20 minutes. He got up, he said a few words, and then he bolted right out of there. But it was a festive vibe. Like People had come in from all over the country. There were, there were relatives of John and Hula Jr. from Montana, Oklahoma, Washington, Wyoming, all over. This guy had a huge family. We are so honored to have you all here to celebrate the renaming of this branch to the John Thunderbird Man M. Hula Jr. Branch Library. Why are we changing the name of this library to honor this gentleman? Well, that is the question, isn't it, Bree? And I think it's pretty clear to me, at least, that the story started last year. Late spring, the death of George Floyd caused a reckoning over race and identity all across the country. And this really came out of that. Uh, here's how Mayor Hancock put it in his speech. In the spirit of last year's race and social justice demonstrations, Denver, like many cities across this country, embarked on a reflective moment internally and externally to think about our journey, to think about our values of equity and inclusion. And one aspect of that journey was to ask ourselves, do the names of our public buildings and public spaces, the people's buildings and spaces, reflect those values of inclusion and equity. 
And of course, one of the buildings they identified was the Byers Branch Library, because it was named after William Byers, who was an early booster of the city back when it was just starting to be a city. He ran Denver's first newspaper, the Rocky Mountain News. Uh, And one of the big issues his paper covered, because the city was so new and not yet self-sufficient, was Indian raids on supply lines, specifically the Overland Trail. Uh, And when political leaders of the time ordered the formation of a militia to go on the attack against these raids, he used the Rocky Mountain News to amplify that call. And that's the militia that Colonel John Chivington led out onto the Eastern Plains to slaughter a peaceful camp of mostly Arapaho and Cheyenne women and children. Yes, you're talking about the Sand Creek Massacre, which we're celebrating the 100, not celebrating, we're commemorating the 157th anniversary of this. Like you're saying... um, they attacked a bunch of women and children. Yeah. Yeah. The specific numbers of people killed, they're kind of, they range, but it's somewhere between 150 and 250. Um, It's awful. It's one of the most shameful events in the history of the state, for sure. I think that as we educate our children, it's important for them to know of the contrary values of a buyer's. But that doesn't mean that we got to name a building or a monument after him. And so he has, like many things in the city, are named after him, uh, including this library branch, which is now becoming Thunderbird Man Branch after someone, a gentleman who's a descendant of these survivors. We're late, but no better day to rename this branch John Thunderbird Man Imola Jr. Imola Jr., excuse me. Branch Library, let's give a round of applause to his memory to his commitment. And it should be mentioned that this library is in uh, the heart of La Alma Lincoln Park, um, a neighborhood that is so rich in history, um, in particular for Denver's Chicano community, but also our larger indigenous community and these intersections of a lot of the, what would become our, our working class communities that really built the city. So to have a library named after somebody was who was in community doing work makes so much more sense than having it named after somebody who was attempting to destroy those communities before they were even built. Oh, that reminds me, actually, I want to play a, a short clip. This is from one of the one of the members on the library's naming committee talking about the the five finalists that they put together for a public vote. Her name's Michelle Sanchez, and I think uh, this is going to resonate with what you just said. We all share this land, and we all all the finalists really represent the spirit of perseverance and culture and love and sharing community. And I'm just really very honored to be here today. And I just want to thank everybody that voted and participated in this process. And I'm very proud that we came up with this day to celebrate John M. Hula Thunderbird Man Jr. Because it is very, very important that we share those stories and just remember that a lot of these stories were meant to be killed, but they couldn't. And so, I really appreciate this time today. Thank you. So let's get into some of those stories. Why did they pick John M. Hula Jr.? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Um, It really didn't sound like it was any one thing. I think for different members of the committee, it was different aspects of his legacy. But his story is fascinating. I mean, he's a guy whose life spanned so many different eras in how the U.S. government has related to the indigenous people of this country. 
and eventually became a person who was responsible for making big changes to that relationship for the better. Here's one of John Amhula Jr.'s great-granddaughters, Jocelyn Runningwolf. John Amhula Jr., Kiowa name, meaning Thunderbird Man, 91, was born on October 12th, 1929, in Lawton, Oklahoma. We've been hearing a lot in the news this year about Indian boarding schools. He went to one, Riverside Indian School in Oklahoma. That was... That was a place where he got his education, and it was specifically designed to assimilate Native American children into white culture. I mean, anybody that's surviving that and then going on to fight for the education of indigenous people that is not centered on assimilation is pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, and he didn't just fight for that. He, he also fought for the country that created that system. He joined the military before he even graduated high school. He fought in Korea. In the 45th Infantry, the Thunderbird Division, as it was known. And that's where I'm guessing the nickname came from and how we are now, uh, Denver's going to be home to a Thunderbird Man library branch. Exactly. I mean, that's what his daughter Cheryl told me, at least. John continued his support to American Indian veterans by serving on the National Native American Veterans Memorial Advisory Committee to create a national memorial for all to learn of the proud and courageous traditions of service of Native Americans and the armed forces of the U.S., this memorial was dedicated in November 2020 in a prominent location of the, N- of the NMAI on the National Mall, where the legacy of the enduring and distinguished services of Native American veterans in every branch of the U.S. military will receive the national recognition it deserves. After the war, that's when he started getting more and more interested in education. He briefly worked for Boeing as an engineer, but then he was married at this point and he moved the family to Seattle, Washington. He became the director of Seattle Public Schools Indian Education Program. He created the Native American Studies Program at the University of Washington, and he got involved with the local tribes and did a lot of advocacy work for like fishing rights and stuff like that. I love that he worked all over. I think that that's so important when we talk about native to an area. You know, that's a term that's very fraught here in Colorado, when in reality, especially the folks that are maybe indigenous to our area um, are also working all over the their their lives are all over the country and i think it kind of reframes our idea of community and who does work here and why they're important and you don't have to be born in colorado to care about um our communities here and he's a great example of that yeah yeah and i think that's what he did i mean he moved to uh, he moved to the area in 1979 it was for a job with the american indian higher education consortium here in denver Um, And this is where he did all the stuff that he's mostly known for. And not just in terms of education either. Here's Rick Williams, who is a friend of John M. Hula Jr.'s and the former president and CEO of the American Indian College Fund. When John came to Denver, I was here then. I was a young man 50 years ago. I remember him working with AHEC, the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, to get the legislation passed so that the tribal colleges could be funded. Very, very, very important. Today, the tribal colleges owe a great debt to the work of John. You know what else? He also worked on the American Indian Freedom of Religion Act helping the Native American Rights Fund get that legislation passed. Without it, we would not be able to wear an eagle feather 
Without it, we would not be able to practice our religion. So he did all these amazing things, but what really came through to me at the ceremony was that it wasn't just that he was one of these like capital G, capital M great men. He also was like a good guy. And I loved this story that uh, another of his former colleagues, Phil Gover, who's the head of the Native Education Program at Adams 12 Schools, uh, who worked quite a bit with uh, John and Mula Jr. Here's a story he told about John's love of uh, University of Oklahoma football. And this is John in my mind. I'd come by the house and there were a couple times it didn't even occur to me, oh, he was playing. And to show up, the TV was on and we were watching the game and who I am. Okay, well, I got to stop. We got to watch the game for a bit because, oh my gosh, what's going on? He would, he would have been unhappy to hear they lost today. <laughs> and to me, that's also a part of John. He's this great man, but he was, it's, it's the fact that he was here with us in a way that we all understood what it's like to be a person, a human. And he, and he was very much that. John Mhula Jr. died on April 21st, 2021, at the age of 91. Here's Rick Williams again. From this day forward, there's going to be an empty seat at a drum. There will be a prayer that's not offered. There's going to be a song that's not sung. There's going to be words of wisdom that are not shared. And it's in these ways that we're going to miss John forever. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. Winter Park Ski Resort recently acknowledged that it is located on indigenous land. Denverite reports that the park has published a land acknowledgement recognizing that it exists on the traditional and ancestral homelands of the Northern Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Ute tribes. However, the new acknowledgement doesn't account for the land being stolen or the violence perpetrated against indigenous people who once resided there. A spokesperson for the resort says Winter Park is, quote, not qualified to address larger historical issues such as genocide and land theft. My question is, isn't every ski resort located on stolen indigenous land? That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. Sorry, I just took in a breath and I sounded like a dog where I was like, (laughs) you didn't catch that. Thank God. Okay.